0: What's up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, Centered from Reality podcast, and I hope you're having a great Saturday. As I'm sure you're aware, I don't usually do podcasts over the weekend, but, you know, I was off Monday, 4th of July, and I thought, I don't know, there's a few topics I kind of wanted to cover. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to get right to it. It's going to be a shorter episode, kind of a Saturday special, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I want to just briefly tell you about this article on Michael Flynn that I found very interesting. Then I want to get into kind of the chaos, upheaval, and just problems that we're seeing in Sri Lanka as the country is officially bankrupt and protesters have stormed the presidential palace. And it looks like shit is literally just hitting the fan there. And then last, I want to talk about Joe Rogan and a recent interview he gave on Lex Friedman's podcast where Joe Rogan said he would not like to interview Donald Trump because he didn't want to help Donald Trump out. And while I like the sentiment, I actually think Trump should go on the Rogan experience because I think it would expose Trump's lack of substance, I guess. So first things first, if you have The Atlantic or have, you know, there are three or four reads for the month that are free, there's a really good article about Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn, you know, retired general, Trump's first national security advisor, nutbag now. Um, It's by Barton Gelman, and it's called What Happened to Michael Flynn, which I I actually have been asking myself quite frequently as well. And it's a really good article that just tries to understand why Flynn went from a skilled military intelligence officer and a general to a completely insane QAnon nut, and who's just a shell of himself in a sense. And just to add context, uh, Michael Flynn has been back in the news because he uh pled the fifth when liz cheney asked him do you believe the violence on january 6th was justified legally they also asked him if he thought the elections were fair or if elections should be free and fair in the united states he pled the fifth on a lot of weird stuff where you're like man uh it's not a good look when you plead the fifth on that i i'm assuming he was part of the whole involvement of january january 6th i do know that michael flynn was, was the one who kind of touted the idea of martial law with Mike Lindell. And he's kind of in that same crew, kind of the Sidney Powell, Mike Lindell, all the fun ones, the election deniers. He, he, he's been on kind of a, I guess you could call it a carnival or a carousel of chaos that's been going around the country with uh, Mike Lindell, Mr. Pillow. So <laughs> I don't know what's happened to him, but the article just kind of, I'm not going to actually go into all the details because I think it's just important to read, but... The article does, like, remind me that he is a huge star in the Trump world. You know, he's part of the Magna Trinity, as people call it, where, in quotes, Jesus is my God, Trump is my president, and Michael Flynn is my general. Good God, we're all screwed if that's if that's who we're looking up to. But anyways, the article's worth a read. I'm not going to spoil it. But basically, the synopsis is he went from a renowned general who was known for his skills connecting the dots and finding terrorists and basically, when he had to lead an agency under Obama, he started making up facts and kind of seemed to show radical tendencies. And it looks like he was better at actually finding terrorists than actually leading an agency that does that. And from there, the, um, Gelman writes, somewhere along the way, his dot detector began spinning out of control. And I think that's the best way to say. And I guess the article kind of poses the question, you know, He's one of these figures where you ask whether were you always this crazy and you just covered it up and then Trump brought it out in you or were you normal and somewhere along the way did you snap like he, he's one of these guys that really confuses me because I guess if you are working in the military ranks and you're doing an intelligence job maybe these type of tendencies don't come out also the article talks about you know the lawsuits he's had and how he's lost a lot of money and so maybe he wants to be involved in the Trump grift to get popular and pay off his debts. There's a lot of theories. It's just interesting. He went from kind of a childhood hero who was a really smart guy to this. And so, yeah, it's it's very strange to see. But I basically want to talk about Sri Lanka and just kind of the ramifications of what is happening. I want to cover mainly how Sri Lanka, I guess, could be a warning sign of things to come for other countries that are developing still and have been mismanaged and hit hard from the pandemic. And now the invasion of Ukraine's happening, obviously there's global inflation. I think it, it might be a warning sign of what could happen to other countries and what we might be seeing in the near future. So The Economist to start reported yesterday that Sri Lanka's prime minister, who, whose name I'm not gonna try to pronounce, I apologize, but I'm gonna save him the dignity and myself the dignity, but he basically said the country was officially bankrupt, and The Economist writes, in quotes, Sri Lanka has all but run out of fuel. With inflation at 55%, the central bank raised its main interest rate by one percentage point to a 21-year high. Negotiations are continuing with the IMF over a bailout. Now, to put this into perspective, I've seen people are really starting to talk about it today just because of the storming of the presidential palace, but... This is not a new story. People have been talking about this all the way back in 2021 and early 2022. So this has been kind of a ticking time bomb for a long time. And I'll get into more of that in a minute. But I remember seeing the Diplomat report in May that Sri Lanka was on the verge of bankruptcy. In January, The Guardian wrote about how the COVID crisis had left the country broke. Over the last month, The Economist has been writing about how schools have constantly been canceled and closed. People have worked from home due to due to uh, fuel shortages. And basically, they're just trying to cut back on the movement of people because there's not enough fuel or supplies. Also, I've seen people are dying waiting in lines for food and fuel. It's just a complete mess. And I don't want to sound hyperbolic, but I do think it's true. Sri Lanka currently sounds like just a, a failed state in about every way possible. If you wanted to get... Kind of a simplified or broad explanation, I guess, of why this is happening. I would say it's kind of a mix of global inflation, which has been specifically bad in Sri Lanka, as well as a huge decline in tourism associated with the pandemic. Those are two parts of it, but they're not the biggest ones. But yeah, let's think about it. I mean, Sri Lanka is a big tourist destination. Obviously, the pandemic shuts down tourism, air travel for a year or two. That's going to hurt you. Also, inflation is bad everywhere. But the, the Guardian also brings up a good point from their January article, going back a little bit, but it's relevant. Um, the Guardian writes here in quotes, This has been compounded by high government spending and tax cuts eroding state revenues, as well as vast debt repayments to China and foreign exchange reserves at their lowest levels in a decade. Inflation has meanwhile been spurred by the government printing money to pay off domestic loans and foreign bonds. So yeah, it actually gets more complicated than just the pandemic is, is kind of my gathering from this. Also, it doesn't help that the country has a strongman president who clearly has not done an adequate job of running the country, to put it lightly, and he hasn't put his people first. Clearly, it looks like a lot of um, basically uh, stuffing his pockets and his allies' pockets and working with China seems to be quite clear here. But I, I don't think the strongman thing specifically is why the country's in bad shape. I think the main thing, the, the, the really big takeaway here is that Sri Lanka owes a shit ton of money to China. It owes China, according to the BBC, more than $5 billion. And it took an additional $1 billion loan from Beijing just last year to help with the financial crisis that these other loans might have exasperated here. And they also owe money to Iran, of all places. And other estimates that the BBC writes have the country needing to pay about $7.3 billion in both domestic and foreign loans over the next year, which is just awful. A really bad situation considering they're bankrupt. I would also add that the government is blaming the pandemic, right? I think it's easy, especially if you've been mismanaging your, your country for decades. So it's easy to blame the pandemic. But, but I would say the culprit has been careless political mismanagement. And financial burdens caused by these deals with China and all of this of course got worse with the invasion of Ukraine right I think probably the fuel prices have surged and the shortages have also surged in Sri Lanka because of the war in Ukraine also (laughs) to make this even more fun that Guardian article from January was also mentioning that farmers were already struggling to produce the fertilizer needed as well as other crops And of course, as we know, there's a global food shortage now because of the war in Ukraine. So shit's just like already hit the fan and it's just flying everywhere. And I excuse my awful, awful gross uh, analogy there, but I think it's the only way to really, really put it. But so now the government has kind of gone into survival mode from what it looks like. The government has told everyone not working in essential services to work from home to save fuel and shut schools. The weird tragic irony here is that the pandemic is not the biggest issue now, but they're almost doing the same lockdowns that the pandemic caused, right? Essential workers go out to work, everyone else stay from home, schools are shut down. Like, this sounds like a COVID type of lockdown, but it's actually the economy, which is just troubling, I guess. But To make this scenario even more devastating, if it could get any more devastating, um, the UN Children's Aid Group, UNICEF, told the BBC that Sri Lanka was nearing a humanitarian crisis. I saw an article from a month ago said that over 500,000 people have dropped below the poverty line since this crisis has gotten worse. And from my understanding, even before the crisis, Sri Lanka had the second highest malnutrition rate in South Asia, and that's according to UNICEF as well. And rising food costs have actually caused even uh, middle-class families to cut back on meals And poor families, poor children are eating diets that don't have enough protein. And so malnutrition is rampant. Poverty is growing. Shortages are increasing. And yeah, there's a lot of worries that a humanitarian crisis is just going to be on the horizon and could last for years to come. And again, let me just hit this again, that we're going to start probably seeing this in a lot of other places as well, like in a lot of sub-Saharan Africa countries. Where back in April, I believe it was, I talked about the growing food crisis that's coming and and climate change and the war in Ukraine have made it worse. And I think we are going to see that happen. And let's remember as well that in Africa, there's also a lot of countries that have high debts and loans that need to be paid back to places like China as well. So, again, this isn't me blaming China. I'm just using the example because China has made a lot of deals with countries, developing countries, and China's going to want the money at some point. And it's not going to help if things are happening like this. So now to catch us up to where we're at today, the story or the the chaos in Sri Lanka has really kind of hit the mainstream media in the United States. And I think it's because I've seen videos on like CNN and Fox and everything of protesters breaking into the presidential palace in Colombo, Sri Lanka. And I believe, and it's a little bit hazy, I believe the president has resigned But he actually was not in his palace when the people stormed it but it kind of looked like something you would have seen during a revolution or one of those big bolshevik moves movements in the early 1900s where you know the working people storm the capital and they're swimming in the pools and you know laying on the sofas and taking stuff and looting because i I have seen videos of some of these protesters swimming in the presidential pool outside the palace there's over a hundred thousand people protesting i've seen smoke grenades clashes with law enforcement and the military. It does not look like a good scenario. The people are angry, which I understand, and desperate. Um, I was reading in CNN today that the massive crunch is even worse of foreign reserves, another crunch on food, another on power now as well, and even more on fuel. And the videos of Colombo are just pure chaos. Now, the scenario gets complicated because the, the government which now might be also in chaos based on what I've been seeing today. But the government is in talks with the IMF, and they're talking about a debt restructuring plan, which would be some form of a loan. But again, if the president just resigned, and if the people are slowly protesting and trying to take the palace, I don't know how well the negotiations go with the IMF. If leadership is fragmented, that's a whole other conversation. That's something we're going to have to see. But also then there's the problem of does the country really need another loan right now because it's broken and failed and owes a lot of money to China and, and as well as domestic debts as well. So do they need another loan? I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about how the IMF actually does these uh, debt restructuring plans with countries, but you would have to hope that there's at least going to be some grace period there if that's the case. Um, Again, I'll just say that I think this is a harbinger for things to come in this very strange world economy we're seeing, especially for countries like Sri Lanka, which there's a lot of in the world. I also wonder, you know, if the and I maybe I'll have to do a longer episode on this at some point, uh, maybe when things start changing more, but. I also wonder if the pandemic may be a catalyst for revolutions like we did see in the 1910s and the 1920s in places like Russia. You know, you have a pandemic, a changing global economy, inequality going crazy. This seems like a time for an upheaval or a revolution. So, yeah, that's all I can really say on this right now. But we're going to keep watching it. Not a great scenario, like I said, at the top of this. Now, lastly, I want to lighten it up because that (laughs) is clearly not a very happy topic. I want to talk about Joe Rogan uh, and the Joe Rogan experience and all that jazz, a topic that I really haven't talked about in a while. I do still like to listen to him when he has someone on that is funny or interesting or it's someone I'm familiar with, you know. I don't listen to him like I used to. I think the initial fascination that he once provided me has kind of faded away. It's kind of worn off just because I kind of understand it now. And I guess kind of what I mean is that, Sometimes the show's a one-trick pony. You know, it was, it was interesting at first hearing about kind of quasi-pseudo-historian ideas and aliens and UFOs and, you know, alternative views about what, what our, what's happened in our history. But, you know, over time, it, it gets a little old, I guess. I get a little bit exhausted. He also kind of tends to bring on the same prototype or archetype, I guess would be the right word, of a person. Kind of the rugged masculine contrarian who's usually right-leaning but not really a Republican hesitant of uh, big pharma and hesitant of the government. And lately, I I think he's just brought on too many people to talk about the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and all these conspiracies. And, you know, I I like myself a good conspiracy once in a while, but not everything is a conspiracy. Not everything is something bigger than we can explain, and it gets a little exhausting. Now, don't get me wrong. I like the comedian ones specifically. Like, protect our parks. I'm not doing a... here for the Rogan experience, but Ari Shafir, Mark Norman, and Shane Gillis, they do, with Joe Rogan, they do a Protect Our Parks uh, series of the Joe Rogan experience. Hilarious. But I guess I've just found other podcasts that I like to listen to for fun, like Tim Dillon, who's hilarious, and he's kind of a contrarian too, but much more clever. Your Mom's House is great. The Lex Friedman podcast and The Fifth Column, a bunch of libertarians who I think are quite nuanced and fun. And uh, anyways... The The Lex Friedman podcast is actually what brings me to the topic I want to talk about today on this Joe Rogan segment here, is that, I think it was on the 4th of July, last Monday, I was listening to Lex Friedman, he's an interesting guy, a little bit too naive and optimistic, but interesting guy, and uh, Joe Rogan was on, and it was a fairly good episode, I usually like their chemistry and their conversations, but I think it was towards the end of the podcast, Lex asked Joe if he would ever consider having Donald Trump on his podcast, and apparently, Joe has a hard, hard red line on Donald Trump being on the show. He said that he has turned down Trump multiple times, I guess, from appearing on the show. And I'll quickly read you what he said. I'm not going to play the episode. I'm not feeling like finding that today. But he said, I'm not a Trump supporter in any shape or form. I've had the opportunity to have him on my show more than once. I've said no every time. I don't want to help him. I'm not interested in helping him. And he went on to say that Trump is a polarizing figure and an existential threat to democracy itself. Now, little side note here. I kind of think it's interesting and kind of contradictory that he doesn't want to have Trump on. Because he is fine with having, like, Alex Jones on or this final form of Jordan Peterson, who's a complete cartoonish mockery of himself and very mean. Um, Dr. Carl Malone... Or you know other people like I think it was Gavin McGinnis was on back in the day, but apparently Trump is too much. You know I think some of the conspiracies uh, conspiracies that like Alex Jones has promoted have also been dangerous to democracy. Jordan Peterson's like just attacks on the trans community are pretty dangerous to democracy. Um, Doctor Malone's very strange views on the vaccine are kind of dangerous to democracy. So it's just interesting that his line is Trump, I guess, but. I also don't really blame him, so I'm not really trying to criticize him on that. It's just interesting. I will also add that it's interesting because I guess Rogan's views are just kind of contradictory. You know, he supported Bernie Sanders in 2020. Now he said he would support Ron DeSantis in 2024, and that's fine. You can like who you want, obviously, but he calls himself a social liberal and not a conservative, so I don't understand why he would support DeSantis because— Pretty much all the worst socially conservative bills are coming out of Florida. The don't-say-gay bill, right? The law that protects people who stop protests, Florida. Anti-trans legislation, rhetoric, Florida. It's just strange that Rogan thinks Trump is divisive, but DeSantis is not. DeSantis has pretty much taken pages out of Trump's culture war. He's kind of got on the back of the culture war and just let it run wild. Also, DeSantis has touted election fraud issues as well. He's discussed, discussed election integrity changes and even has his own forces that he's created to watch polling stations during elections. So I think those are also things that are dangerous for democracy. But Joe is a guy with very unique political views that contradict and overlap all the time. But hey. I mean, in a sense, I have contradictory views, too. I think we all have different views and ju- different ways we justify concepts in our heads. So I'm not going to criticize him too much. But anyways, while I applaud him for not wanting to give a tr- Trump a platform, I actually think that it really wouldn't give Trump any more of a platform because, I mean, Trump goes on shows all the time. Trump's a megastar with his base. CNN talks about him a lot. a lot. A lot of people on the left talk about him. I talk about him. It's not like Trump doesn't have a platform and people aren't talking about him. And I actually think that Trump should bring him on because of the Rogan experience and the long form dialogue. I actually think that kind of, I kind of think this and I go back and forth on it, but for the sake of this episode, I'm going to go with it. So I think Rogan could help expose the stupidity and lack of depth that Donald Trump has because the whole Rogan experience is about sitting down and talking for hours. It's kind of like the the campfire concept. You know, just a couple guys or a couple gals having a whiskey, smoking a cigar, talking about deep concepts around the campfire. And the concept is just try to be genuine, authentic. Maybe get a little drunk along the way or, you know, stoned, whoever, depending who you're talking with. And you don't have to share the views, but you just kind of want to talk for hours and understand each other. Now, I think if Trump came on the show, this would just not even be possible. Like, can any of you imagine sitting around a campfire and just trying to have a talk about life with Donald Trump? Like, again, maybe he's different when the cameras are off and he's by himself with friends, but from everything I've gathered, he's, he's not like that at all. And so Trump would fail at this. And now, side note, I don't think he would even ever agree to do this. And he would also want the questions in advance, right? Right. But I don't think Rogan would help Trump by bringing him on. Maybe he could actually show some of the right-wing Rogan listeners that Trump has no substance and just can't be a normal person. Because I always use this concept in my life, and I don't use it for everything, but I do want to be friends with people that, or support someone where I'm like, yeah, I could have a beer with that person and talk. The beer test, you know? And I don't think Trump passes the beer test. Like, I I wouldn't even want to eat a burger with Trump, which are like his... You know his love um, and I just don't think Trump could be a normal person for an hour let alone two or three like I could imagine Joe wanting to maybe talk about what it was like being president and maybe Trump would say a few words and then go off about a go off on a diatribe you know about the election or ran about his poll numbers and just start glitching out and getting angry and then he'd probably push back excuse me excuse me excuse me Joe excuse me you know I, I could just see the whole thing just just going off the rails really quickly and now, granted, it would probably not be a good episode. Like, it wouldn't be an enjoyable conversation. But I think it would just be exposing of Trump as a fraud. And maybe Rogan should do it. Just bring in Donnie and say, maybe even work with him a little. Say, here's a few topics. Because even if you gave Trump the topics in advance, I don't particularly know that he would be able to handle that. I really don't think he'd be able to handle having a deep conversation. Um, I, I just think we, we need more of a mainstream audience or even Trump supporters, to see what this guy is like. He's not some genius. But again, again, the way our country is, people are so lost, who knows. But I'd I'd be curious to try to hear Trump do a Rogan episode. And I'm sure I'm going to get pushed back, oh, you don't want to platform Trump. I'm sure tr- people would try to cancel Rogan, but it would be interesting at the end of the day. So anyways, those are my thoughts for this Saturday. Um, hopefully things in Sri Lanka do not get worse. And I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Have a great weekend. Again, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, Podbean, Twitter. Uh, not Truth Social, though I did create a Truth Social account. That place is a cesspool. But we'll, we'll not talk about that today. But yeah, have a good one.